Our second scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 28. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands before they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of your father or mother must surely die. But you say that whoever tells father or mother whatever support you might have had from me is given to God. Then that person need not honor the father. So for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God, you hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied rightly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God. God, who is all that is, we thank you. We thank you for this life. We thank you for this breath. We thank you for this day, and we thank you for this word. 
We thank you, O oh God, that you are here within and among and through us on our good days, that you are in and within and through us on our bad days. God, help us to see that you are in and through it all. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. So, as I told the kids earlier, this is one of, another favorite. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with it. I, you know, I think what I'm learning when I say that again and again is that the way that I think of Scripture is that it is this living word. It was written by a part- people at a particular time and place, and yet the idea is that it is alive to everyone at every time and place. So the more that we kind of tend to codify it, and I realize this as it's, we make it canon, but the more that we elevate it, the more rigid we make it, the more that we, I think, can misunderstand it. I think that we can lose sort of the nuance that's kind of happening within. We want to pretty it up. We want to make it clean. We want to make it easy. And yet what I love about scripture is that it is not clean or easy. Because life is not clean or easy. It may be at times, certainly, certainly there are beautiful moments. And I think we are invited to see the ways in which ease and gentleness is our way of being. And yet God is not that simple. Because we then equate that to comfort. And life is not comfortable. It is at times, but it's not that simple. Because the reality is that things get complicated. Days are hard. We get tired, especially lately. Now, maybe there have been times in humanity's history when everything was cush, everything was chill for everyone. I don't think so. And yet we're in a particularly challenging time period now. We'll just name that. And that's what I love about passages like today's. And it was really interesting as I prepared this week, and and we're moving back, so now we're moving on the lectionary. So these are texts that are read throughout the world right now, when reformed churches, all of that's what, do y'all know what the lectionary is when I say that? Is there a reference? It's a three-year cycle group of texts that are read throughout different, or different reformed congregations throughout the world. But it was a way to really kind of draw together the family of people together so that people were reading the same texts every week. Right? So we're reading the scriptures. So there are people all over the country, all over the world today who are reading this text. And what I love about it is that it includes this weird stuff with the, with the Pharisees and the washing hands and talking about the sewer. And then it involves this interaction with the Canaanite woman. And it's like, that's a lot that's happening. And so I want to take just a second to unpack why these two things together are so important. So this is a really pivotal moment. In, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a similar, a, a parallel sort of sequence of events where there's this debate about the cups that go in and, and washing their hands properly and this weird tradition, whatever's going on there, and then it goes right into the Syrophoenician woman. Same setup here. In both Gospels, it is a pivot point in the Gospel. When Jesus says in, in Mark, it is all foods are clean, and when Jesus makes this declaration here that you do not need to wash your hands in the right way, That is a pivot point. He is saying we do not need to hold to all of these traditions, these religious practices, which are actually causing us to stumble. 
the whole back and forth before that is that the, the Pharisees come in and they're like, you're not doing this right. You're not washing your hands the right way. You're not following these traditions correctly. And he immediately steps back and says, you're going to argue with me about tradition. And yet you are using this tradition as a way of completely foregoing your responsibility to your parents, to your closest kin. Never mind what you're going to do to others. So Jesus is saying, you're using these traditions as a way to sidestep around the commandments. So in today's context, it would be a great way for people to say, I have donated all of this money to my church. I don't need to worry about caring for the poor. It's the equivalent. My church tells me that I'm supposed to give money, that I'm supposed to give money to God, so I don't actually need to worry about this other reality. Because I practice my religion right. Jesus is saying that doesn't mean a thing. In Mark, he, has it, he says it really beautifully. He says, you have a fine way of abandoning commandments of God in favor of your tradition. You are abandoning the commandments of God in favor of your tradition. It is a very strong moment in the gospel. And then he says, you don't have to worry about what you eat. You don't have to worry about what, don't worry about all that stuff. Don't worry about these things. Worry about what is coming out. Worry about what you are saying. Worry about the fruit of your spirit as it is coming out into the world. Jesus is saying, when you are so focused on these traditions and on these practices, what happens is that your fruit is rotten. It's sour. You can't eat it. The purpose of these practices is to help us learn how to live in right relation with God, ourselves, and one another. Jesus is like, you're not doing that. And then there's this pivot point where he has the opportunity to engage that in its most profound way. So when they go to Tyre and Sidon, this is this middle ground, this outside area. This is enemy territory. Now remember, Matthew was written for a specifically a community of Jews, people who were Jewish and who were seeking to follow Jesus. So this is, and for when you're talking about Matthew, actually in Tyre and Sidon, in both Mark and Matthew, this is the enemy territory. This is outside lines. This is an area that is unfamiliar, and the Canaanites represent all that the Jews despise. At this point, they are just a category of people. They're not a specific geographic people. It is to represent that they are Gentiles and that they are unclean. And so then you have in this circumstance this woman. This is a patriarchal society. So she is transcending these gender lines. She has a daughter, so there's a double layer. She's transcending these gender lines. It ain't even for a son, y'all. It's for a daughter. She sasses Jesus, this unclean woman who represents all of these things that not only Jesus, but I think in the specific model, what Jesus represents is his community. So she represents all of the things that his community of followers would have despised. So they're in this middle area where they're like, oh, we're not like those uber-religious folks who are so keen on practicing their religious the right way that they end up being jerks to everybody else. They're so clear that they're not that. But they're also like, but we ain't really going to sit down with the poor people. We're not really going to sit down with those that we've decided who are really unclean. They may say that, but there's this challenge right here where Jesus represents, in a lot of ways, his own people's distancing from that. And I think that that's really important that we hold. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, is Jesus setting an example? Is he being a model here? He doesn't really mean to be a jerk, does he? You know, because he's still Jesus. 
And yes, he's still Jesus, which means he is just as human as you or me. So I like to think that this story is a really beautiful example of just how hard it is to transcend those religious traditions, those things that have sort of burrowed so deeply inside of us that we can miss the reality of the abundance of the living God there with us. That even Jesus wanted to be like, no, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this right now. It's okay to say even Jesus struggled. And I don't mean just on the cross. Even Jesus struggled. You see it a lot with the way that he interacts with his disciples where he's trying to get away from them, honestly. He's like, y'all, I need space. I need a little time because you're exhausting me right now. (laughs) He gives this woman the same amount of sass. It's a little more though because he calls her a dog. He calls her a dog. I think it's important that we not try to clean that up. I think it's important that we not try to clean that up. I think it's important that we let Jesus be human. Because here's the thing, y'all, is that he was human for a reason. And it wasn't just he was human for himself. God did not need to take on human flesh for the sake of God's self. And yet also it's interesting because God takes on human flesh in 8 billion people right now just for the sake of being God's self. What does that mean, Jess? What does that mean? It means that God came in as Jesus to show us a way of being human. And that what we see in today's story is that it is okay to have a bad day. It is okay to see those boundaries. It is okay to bump against those boundaries sometimes. Because what happens is that God is going to work through all of them. God is going to continue to transcend those boundaries. And in this story today, God shows up in the person that even Jesus has said, we're not here for. God says, oh, yes, we are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Y'all ever had that moment where the person you were most set on keeping a distance from is the exact person who showed you how beautiful you are, even if it came in the form of a challenge? Anybody ever had that? Anybody ever had a bad day? Because what gets me also about what this woman represents is in so many ways she represents the parts of us that we want to push away. She represents the parts of us that we're ashamed of. She represents the parts of us that we don't have energy for. The parts of us that are not so shiny. The parts of us that are not so clean. And yet so often, how often is it those parts of yourself which you say, I don't want anything to do with. I'm going to push that away. I'm going to ignore that. I'm embarrassed of that. And yet as you learn to integrate that part, as you learn to heal that part, as you learn to even just see that part, you realize those parts are actually the ones who show you the most depth to God's love within you. I believe that as I have learned to integrate those parts of myself that I've been embarrassed of, that I've been ashamed of, that I've been told are the parts of me that separate me the most from God, as I have learned to integrate those things, as I have learned to see them and to say thank you, I found that I am much better equipped to deal with other people who represent those parts as well. What does that mean? That means that it's easier for me to sit down with strangers or people I may perceive as a threat or an enemy 
the more present I am with myself. Which means that what we have here is a beautiful invitation to examine the parts of ourselves that we want nothing to do with. And it's uncomfortable. And it's awkward. And it brings out parts of ourselves that we maybe don't want to show to people. And yet still, grace abounds within them. Grace abounds within them. So whether it's your neighbor who you've decided is your enemy, or even your neighbor who you've decided is a stranger, or even your neighbor who makes you uncomfortable because they represent a part of you that you don't want to deal with, or maybe it's just your neighbor who you have decided is absolutely nothing like you, or if it's those parts of yourself within you that make you ashamed, that make you embarrassed, that make you frustrated with yourself. Here's the thing, both of those things, they are equally beloved by God. They are also equally beautiful invitations for you to learn how to love yourself and your neighbor more deeply. There is no enemy. There is no enemy here. There is no enemy here. And I don't just mean here in this congregation. We perceive others as our enemy. Yes, we continue to do that in this world. Yes, we continue to build up defenses. And I don't even mean military necessarily. I mean all of the defenses we build up. And I don't even just mean our neighbor in another country. I mean our neighbor sitting next to us. I don't mean our neighbor in another political party. I mean our neighbor within. We have created enemies of everyone because we don't know ourselves well enough to know that God is within and through all of it. God is in you. God is in you. God is in your neighbor. And as soon as we begin to really believe and to feel and to integrate that, I guarantee you, you will begin to believe me. To see only your neighbor. To see only yourself and the beloved gift of God that you are. I'd like to offer one thing in closing that I've been doing lately that's been really helpful at the beginning and the end of every day. It's not even five minutes. Although I'm gonna to continue to offer, give yourself 15 minutes of meditation, it'll change your life. But that's not even what I'm gonna say right now. This is like a three minute ask at most. It's like a minute ask at most. I set a timer on my phone and a reminder at the beginning and the end of every day, around the time when I wake up and around the time when I go to bed. And it says, I am who I am and that is enough. And at the beginning of every day and at the end of every day, I say that to myself in earnestness, three times at least. Take a breath and say it to yourself at the beginning and the end of your every day. And what I found is that I really then in the middle of the day start to remember that I am who I am. And that is enough. I am who I am. And that is enough. Because then when the other voices tell me that I'm not enough, or tell me that I'm a pain, or tell me that I'm a dog, or tell me that whatever, I remember that I am who I am, and that is enough. The holy can work with whatever is there. And just that invitation, I am who I am, and that is enough. It may not seem like an invitation, but it is, because it's an invitation for you to see that you are who you are, 
and that is enough. You need not be anyone but yourself. Know that you are held, that you are beloved, exactly as you are. Amen.